0: Um, But tonight we're in Jeremiah chapter 14, and and to be honest, you guys, I mean, the the one thing the Lord really laid on my heart uh, as going into it is just so hopefully there's a clear understanding of the power of the person of the Holy Spirit in our life, you know. Um, We can't do anything without His strength. And so you guys know this, right? Um, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. Amen? All right, you believe in Jesus and you're saved, and it's so cool. You know that if you were to die today, you go to heaven, right? But the the thing is, when Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like just as if Jesus was sent and was here for a season, the Holy Spirit is now here, and He is here to not only seal us. I talked about this on Sunday. We're saved, sealed, and hopefully spirit filled. You have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, or else you won't be able to live the life. And so, um, some people will wonder, "Well, how can I be under the Holy Spirit? You know, how can I be filled and under His influence, and how can I have that kind of power in my life?" And and you know, it's not um, a complex answer. Luke chapter eleven, Jesus said, "Just pray, and just ask." He said, "If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children." How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, are you are you asking? And so, the interesting thing is, he says, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on, you know, uh, doing this—not just a one-time thing. But you know, when you're really desperate for the personal power of the Holy Spirit, that that prayer that you pray will be different. Because sometimes people say, "Well, I prayed and it didn't happen. I prayed and you know, nothing's changed." And my guess is you didn't really pray. You didn't really pray. Because if you really pray, Abba, Father, I need you. I'm I'm coming to an end of myself. I want to be a godly man, a godly woman. You know, when you come to that place in your life where I, I'm done living a defeated life. I'm done with that defeated life. I'm I'm done just kind of like you know going through it in a casual way you know and I'm squeaking by and yeah I'm a christian but you know we know there is more to being a christian than this we know it we know it the the jesus revolution the the revival that took place you know the the the, the life that god wants us to live you know sometimes it's supposed to be more than this and so god is so beautiful in that he would Bring us here tonight, and like I said, this was the one thing that was heavy on me, is God, tonight, let there be people here who, uh, who are just hungering and thirsting for the Holy Spirit to come in and uh, to fill us, to baptize us. We're going to see it on Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We'll see it on Sunday, how we need to be spirit-filled people. We need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about Sunday, but just to give you a real quick preview, before you were a Christian, you used to get drunk, and you were under the influence, and I bet you I could talk to some of you here today, and probably shouldn't do it, but I could ask you, hey, what did you do when you were drunk? You did things that were different, huh? You did things that you normally wouldn't do right? Because you were under the influence of that alcohol. But now we have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It can't, it can't, it can't just be you. It can't just be me. It has to be the person of the Holy Spirit. And so when, the, part of the reason that I, I think the Lord really laid this on my heart is in Jeremiah chapter 14, it's all about a drought. It's about a drought. It's about a time where God did not let it rain in the land. And we could definitely identify with that because here in California, we went through three years of crazy drought. And then all of a sudden we got all this rain, huh? Wasn't that cool? Some of you guys are thinking, no, it wasn't cool. My roof was leaking or whatever. It wasn't cool because, you know, it was hard to drive on the freeway. No, I think all of us here know, huh? Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Thank you for the snowpacks. We know that's going to come down and fill up these water reservoirs in spring. And so we're really excited about that. Thank you, Lord. And as far as the drought goes for California, they still were, we're still kind of in it. Certain places are looking good. Um, They use different terminology, you know, dry areas. Certain desert areas are still considered under severe drought, but, you know, it's definitely, we can, we can resonate with this because um, we, we were there, and now God changed it. And I, I, and I don't know about you, but I was thinking, because a lot of people started talking about that. They started talking. They said, you know what? God's judging California because we are a crazy state. We do a lot of crazy things. We're leading, like, not just the nation. We're leading the world in sin, And so people were saying, "Well, there's a drought. There's a drought. There's no rain. There's no rain." And all of a sudden, there was this rain. And I'm like, "Okay, Lord, maybe there is a remnant of Christians in California, you know, centered there on in Calvary Chapel (laughs) Almani. You know, just saying, you know, that that really love you, and you are just showing us mercy. And it's almost like a visual sign that you're going to do something special, Lord." You're going to you rain down your blessings. You're going to rain down your Holy Spirit. I, I've always been an optimistic person. And that's my desire. Lord, let it let it happen. Let it happen to me. And, and so that's where we're at right now. You, tonight, we have to believe on that. God's going to do something good. God's going to do something different because we're here. We're yielded. We're surrendered. And And we're going to learn from this book. The book of Jeremiah is a very difficult book. I commend you who have been coming and you're, you're hearing it. And it's like, man, tough book. But if you can get through the book of Jeremiah, and I'm not saying you got to be here every week, but you know, reading through it on your own and just really having it in your heart, then you will be a whole You, I think you're going to be holy and you're going to have a healthy fear of God in your life because the whole book is about watching this nation that at one time was so blessed and anointed by God, and this over hundreds of years eventually come to the place where God had no other option but to just drop the hammer on them to where they were then taken away to Babylon for 70 years. It was still his love, but it was a discipline in such a severe way. And by watching them, our prayer is that I'm going to learn from their lesson, Lord. That's not going to be me. And and that's the desire. So anyways, look at Jeremiah chapter 14. Look at verse 1. We see their their peril. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and so hopefully you guys can follow along with me. Uh, um, But it says in verse 1, this message came to Jeremiah from the Lord, explaining why he was holding back the rain. Judah wilts. Commerce at the city gates grinds to a halt. All the people sit on the ground in in mourning and a great cry rises from Jerusalem. The nobles send servants to get water, but all the wells are dry. And it's kind of cool, just as a real quick pause right here. It's kind of cool how the young adults, their ministry is called the well. I like that, the well. We're talking about water. We're talking about God's supply of water where Jesus will meet us there and give us the Holy Spirit. But notice it says that they they went to get water, but all the wells are dry. The servants return with empty pitchers, confused and desperate, covering their heads in grief. The ground is parched and cracked for lack of rain. The farmers are deeply troubled. They, too, cover their heads. As a farmer, you need rain, right? You need water. So they're having a difficult time. Even the doe abandons her newborn fawn because there is no grass in the field. I mean, you guys know, proverbially speaking, a doe is known for being a beautiful mom would never abandon their fawns. But as she gives birth right there, she knows, my, my 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 fawn is not going to make it. I'm not going to make it until I get out of here. That's how desperate they are. It says in verse 6, The wild donkeys stand on the bare hills, panting like thirsty jackals. Now again, donkeys are known as being durable. But right here, they're like these thirsty jackals, like a long, slender-legged dog, a wild feeding on decaying flesh. That's what a jackal really is. They strain their eyes looking for grass. But there is none to be found. And so the Lord here is just saying, um, this is this is a drought. You know, where would we be without rain? Where would we be without water? Imagine how difficult it would have been for them. Because the centrality of their economy was agriculture, and you know, they were in agrarian agrarian society. But what had happened? God had warned them in advance in Leviticus 26:19, in Deuteronomy 28:23 through 24 that if you don't obey me, um, these would be the consequences. And eventually, it would say if you continue to disobey me, then eventually the heavens are going to be closed. You're not going to get any rain. And so I will say this: that you know, when it comes to disobeying God in life, um, it, you know, the Bible talks about whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So let's just say, you know, you're drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking, and then you get cirrhosis of the liver. You know, it's the consequence, really, of disobedience. Let's just say you're married, but you're not investing in your marriage. And then eventually you become distant, and eventually one of you has an affair. You know, we we will suffer the consequences of our disobedience. God knows how to live life successfully, and so if we fail to live life obediently, it will, always, it will always digress. That's all, that's what we see. And so God is just trying to tell them, here's my word, I love you, you know, if you're going to eat, you know, crazy food, you know, and one day you get, you know, sick because of it. And just understand, that's just the law of sowing and reaping. But, but it, it, it came to a point where if they continue to disobey, then God says, eventually, I'm just going to do, I'm going I'm to do even more than that. I'm going to stop the rain. And that's all this is. Now why would God stop the rain? To get their attention. To get their attention. You know, I was thinking about like the whole drought concept, like the whole drought, like what is it, Manny? What do you mean I'm in a drought? You know, and it's almost like it goes beyond words, but I think sometimes people Christians who who are they know something's missing. Maybe you haven't even you haven't led anyone to the Lord in a long time. And you used to always lead people to the Lord, or you haven't even shared with anybody in a long time. Uh, You know what? That might be a a drought. Uh, Again, that's between you and the Lord. I don't know, you know, but you feel distant. You feel disconnected. There's something going on, something missing. It's the personal power of the Holy Spirit. There's a drought. And so we know, I mean, is it, is it, is it the Lord withholding his blessing upon our life? You know, we got to be really careful. Right here, this this society was, was just it grinded to a halt. The leaders could do nothing because there's nothing you can do. I mean, I don't care how much money you have and how much technology you have. You can't make it rain. Only God can. And so the leaders, all they could do was was mourn. And, and so Jeremiah tells us in here, in verse 2, that Judah was this wilting. Imagine that. And I think there are some people who, in one sense, they're just like wilting. And you shouldn't be wilting, you guys. You're the children of God. You, know, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the, the, I mean, the power of his word. We should not be wilting. I understand we go through trials, but understand those trials are only intended to make you stronger. And you could have, James says, count it all Joy when you fall into various trials knowing the test in your faith god's going to do something good so we they were wilting that we shouldn't wilt this this was their peril though you know the lord says hey let me explain to you what's going on here this drought and you guys see it and so in in verse seven that the, the the peril their peril then transitions into a prayer now, the interesting thing about this prayer is that I'm not sure if it's Jeremiah's prayer or if it's the people's prayer. Now, reading different commentaries and searching on it, some of the people thought it was Jeremiah. The New Living Translation obviously frames it as if it's the people's prayer. And if I had to guess, I would say this is probably more the people's prayer, that they, that they, they were praying this. Look what it says in verse 7. The, the people say, our wickedness has caught up with us. Lord, but help us for the sake of your own reputation. We have turned away from you and sinned against you again and again. O hope of Israel, our savior in times of trouble. Why are you like a stranger to us? Why are you like a traveler passing through the land, stopping only for the night? Are, Are you also confused? Is our champion helpless to save us? You're right here among us, Lord. We are known as your people. Please don't abandon us now. Now, when you read this right here, to be honest, I mean, it sounds like a sincere prayer. I mean, the the wording is amazing. They knew uh, what to say. They knew all about their drought, that they were without rain, because of their rebellion they they knew that and and as they and he's reading it right here, our wickedness has caught up to us, and you know we've sinned against you again and again i mean they were honest in about the fact that it wasn't just a stumble or a slip or a little fall here and there, it was a sin against God over and over and over again, repeated sin without repentance, they were honest about that, and so you know even there where it says um um we." our um verse eight no verse uh, seven our witness caught up with us yeah verse seven but help us for the sake of your own reputation now they're praying things that that are like yeah that's how you're supposed to pray for the glory of god for your name this is kind of this is how it works right you read those prayers in the old testament and those were the ones that seemingly god would answer Uh, you know, for your glory, Lord. They even knew that he was their hope and they knew that he was their savior in times of trouble. But, but, But you wonder, well, then why didn't it change? You know, they got this drought. God gets their attention. They start praying. But it, their circumstances did not change. Um, when you read the book of Jeremiah, it just progressively gets worse. And at the end, you know, they want to kill him. They put him in a pit. And eventually the Babylonians come and they conquer the city. And so you look at the prayer and, you, and you're like, well, why, why didn't it change things? And you want to know why? Because it wasn't sincere. It wasn't sincere. You can say all the right words. But if it's not sincere, it means nothing. And I, I can read what they say, and man, it looks good. But I know what they did. We read what they did. As you go through the Book of Jeremiah, as you go through Second Kings, as you go through Second Chronicles, they were not interested in genuinely following the Lord. And and it really makes me search my own heart, because I know all the right words. I, honestly, I've read the Bible. I can pray the Bible. I can go through the motions. I could spend a lot of time in my prayer closet with God. But you really, we really have to make sure that we are real, you guys. That we are real in this. Because, uh, you know, we've seen this many times that we can say all the right words, but we're going to see as we go through here that words are, are cheap, You know, it's one thing to turn to God in times of trouble. It's another thing to turn to God like all the time. And they said, hey, you're our Savior. You're our hope in times of trouble. But but what about the other times? You know, there's a lot of things that you look at this and you're like, well, I wonder what this is all about. Um, Something I notice in life, some people are much more interested in God saving them from their situation than they are from God saving them from their sins. They're praying for God to change my circumstances. Change my circumstances. And God is saying, no, you change. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to, to change my circumstances. And God is trying to use those circumstances to change me. A lot of times we look at this and we're wondering, well, what's going on with this nation? And God is saying, listen. The reason why, you know, I seem like a stranger. Look again, if you would, there at verse 8. Why are you like a traveler passing uh, through the night? Why are you like a stranger to us? The reason that God seems like a stranger to them is because they had estranged themselves from the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Like, if you sense, like, you're distant from God tonight. Who moved? You or him? He didn't move. He would never move away from you. You know, we should be tight with the Lord. We should be close with him because he loves us. I know he does. You guys know he does because he died for you. And so we should be so close. But if he seems like a stranger, if he seems distant, it's because we have fallen away. We have moved from him. You know, they said things that were kind of silly there in in verse 9. Imagine praying this prayer asking God, Are you confused? How silly. Of course not. God's not confused. Or the New King James uses the words astonished. You know, you're a champion, Lord. Are, are you helpless? Of course not. He, the mighty one can save. And then there in verse 9 again, it says, so Please don't abandon us. God will never abandon you. He will never abandon you. You know, we read this over and over again. Deuteronomy 31, six: Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Never, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28.20, it says, Lo, I am with you. Jesus said, always, even to the end of the age. And so, because we're like, well, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. Are you sure he's still with us? Absolutely, that's why he said that. I'll be with you always. And even that word lo is an interesting word. Lo, I'll be with you. Lo. And you're like, well, what does low mean? The Greek word actually means behold, and it especially calls attention to what follows. Lo, behold what follows. I will be with you. Always. He will never abandon us. Never. And so the problem here is with the people. Not God. You know, and for us, as we're going through this, Hebrews 13, 5 says the same thing. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of times, you know, we're not content. You want to know why you're not content? You're not content. And we're talking about ambitions, relations, possessions. We're not content because we're not content with him. Because He is with us. And He is enough. He is. If He's not enough for you, then something's wrong with your relationship with God. Praise God for the other things. Oh, certain ambitions that we you know, strive for that are God-given, or certain relations that we praise God for, you know, certain possessions that He blesses us. Hopefully we use them for His glory. But you know, that doesn't bring contentment to me. What brings me contentment is Him. And only Him. And so for us, if we feel like, well, God's abandoned me, then it's not that he's left, it's that we have left. And so, so here's the cool thing. God's still in the same place. He has and will be still in the same place. All you got to do is go to him. Tonight, if you feel distant, man, it's so cool. You came to church, but you didn't come. This is not like a fancy church. You guys know that, right? We've come, though, because, you know, he inhabits the praises of his people, and he lives in his church, in his people. He is here. He is here in a special way because he loves you, whoever you are. And there might be some here tonight who are suicidal. There might be some here tonight who are struggling with porn or drugs or alcohol. There might be some here tonight who just feel very empty inside and God wants to fill that void within you. That's why he brought you here. You're not just going to come and leave. You're not just going to come and leave. You're going to come and you will have this experience and transaction and truth with the living God. And you will never be the same. God can do that tonight if you're interested. You know, I know I, that's, that's what I want. You, know, you, you learn from the peril that they're in. You learn from the prayer that wasn't really sincere. And because it wasn't sincere, there, this next is the punishment. And we're going to see that through the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 10. So, so this is what the Lord says to his people. Verse 10. You love to wander far from me and do not restrain yourselves. Therefore, I will no longer accept you as my people. Now I will remember all your wickedness and will punish you for your sins. But it looked so good. Their prayer seemed so good, but it wasn't real. You know, and I, and I think that that can happen in, in a lot of different ways, you guys. Again, not to put pressure on you, not to be weird or legalistic or anything, because it's so cool that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, you're saved. And it's so cool that when you just rest in him, man, he just, it flows and the work is beautiful. It's really, really cool what happens. But I think what can happen is something called California Christianity, in California, Christianity is one foot in, one foot out. It can really be a casual Christianity, not a New Testament Christianity. And that's where we have to guard ourselves. Because a lot of times people are content with it, you know? They're like, yeah. Um, and the Lord is just saying, no, the, the prayer has to be real. The repentance has to be real. Um, you're, you're, you're living in a drought, and you know it. You know it. And so God is just saying, let's, let's do this right. But they wouldn't do it right. They wouldn't surrender. They wouldn't be honest. And so he had to punish them. And right here in verse 10, he talks about the people, how they love to wander. Why would, why would anyone love to wander from God? If you think about that, why would anyone love to wander from God? The only possible answer for that is that they love their sin. They love their sin. That's why anyone would wander from God. Either that, or they're not content with God and they get curious about the other things that are out there besides God and His truth. They they love to wander, and there are some people like that. You know, um, uh, it's a dangerous place to be. You know, I remember. You know, you guys have seen those stories of the 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 you know the the lions that are they're looking at. You know the 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 flock and they're like well who should we attack and they find the one that's lingering away from you know the rest of the the group and that's kind of what happens and so for us we have to be really careful on this I, I i was thinking about this um Luke 15 Re- real quick if you would turn there Luke chapter 15, it's so cool because maybe you're here today and you're a wanderer. You know, you have a tendency to to stray away. It's just so cool to know that God brought you here because he is seeking you. And I like what we read here in verse one. It says that all the tax collectors of Luke 15 and the sinners, they drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them so he spoke this parable to them and you guys who love the lord for those of you who love the lord okay how many of you here love the lord i know you a lot of you here do huh isn't it cool how you love sinners isn't that cool you know the one that other people would run away from you're like hey that guy's all tatted down I, i love that guy you know or that one over there, they're homeless and they're they're getting high right there, but you just love them. Ah, huh? the drunk or the prideful person. It doesn't matter that they're sinners because when God comes inside of you and you let him rule, then you love people. The the Pharisees, man, they make me sick because they're so they they were so wrong in their religion. They, that, that Jesus would have the audacity to, to eat with sinners. I'll be honest with you. There have been times where I've been able, and I don't, I would consider myself more of a sinner than a lot of these homeless people, but to be able to sit down and buy a homeless person, a, a, you know, a double double, and to eat with them, and there I'm sitting there, and I'm chopping it up with them, and eating with them. I'm the one that feels privileged. I love to do stuff like that. This is where we should be. Here's Jesus eating with sinners, but these guys were like, "No, if he were a real, you know, religious guy, I can't believe, you know, he wouldn't do this." Um, but, but the Lord just said he then tries to teach them. The Lord loves even these guys too. He says right here in verse four, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go to?" the one which is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for i have found my sheep which was lost i say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance and, and you know we know there there are those who wander but the Lord goes and, and, he, and he gets them and he, and He searches for them, He leaves the ninety nine and He goes after the one Now now, the interesting thing is this, and this is controversial okay so i, I can 't teach this dogmatically, but I have heard through the grace vine that when a sheep wanders that when the shepherd finds it he he breaks its leg because if a sheep has a tendency to wander then what do you do, you know? I mean, you know, it's hard because you can't, I mean, what do you do? You, you got the flock, that one always wanders. You're going over here, that one always wanders. And it's just always wandering. And so you kind of have to do something like different. And so, you know, a lot of people will say that, that what, what they would do is they would take the sheep when he finally, the shepherd finally finds it he breaks its leg. Now I know that sounds severe and to the point that some have denied that. No, a shepherd would never do that. But but others say no, they did do that for this purpose. Look what it says right here again in verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. And and he and so he breaks his leg, causes pain. Can't walk. You know, normally would say, hey, let's go. You know, you lead it. But no, it can't walk now. So what does he do now? He lays it on his shoulders and he brings it back and he he feeds it. He tends to it. He loves on this sheep. And so that when the leg is mended and, and restored, the sheep no longer wanders away. And what we're looking at in the book of Jeremiah is it's coming to that. Is coming to that. Now, how many of you here have ever broken a leg? I'm just curious. You ever broken a leg? Some of you guys here? It hurts. (laughs) It hurts. But in our spiritual illustration here, it's necessary because God will bring us back to the place that we need to be. There was one man who who did this in in a sermon. I'm going to read it to you. It it was this guy, uh, William Branham. And he said this, I guess you've heard the story of the shepherd that broke his sheep's leg one at a time. Many little stories have been told about it and was asked the shepherd, did the sheep fall off a mountain and and do this? And he said, no. So what happened? He said, I broke its leg. He said, why did you break its leg? Are you a cruel shepherd? He said, no, I love the sheep but the sheep got to running away from me and he kept straying out to itself. And I know the nature of sheep and I know if if they stray too far away, the wolf will get them. So I had to break the sheep's leg to keep it with me, to draw it to my bosom, to give it a little special food and I'll be so kind to it that when its leg gets well, it'll never leave me anymore. And that's what you know. People have to go through, and and God is so good, you know, to bring us through that whole thing. Israel would go to Babylon; they would be there for seventy years. Um, they would come back, and they would never become idolatrous again. But they're still not there. As, an in- As a matter of fact, something interesting. I'll just share with you guys real quick. Later on, uh, when you read about um, Israel and the promises. God says, eventually the day will come where Israel will be in the land and there will be no terror. There will be peace and there will be no terrorism. Now let me ask you a question. Is there terrorism in Israel today? There is. There is. Because they're not there yet. God is still dealing with them. And you know what's going to happen during the tribulation period? Two-thirds of the Jews will die. But eventually... God will bring his people back. You know, it's sad that it has to happen like that. My prayer is that you and I, we would not have to learn the hard way. I always tell people, learn the easy way. How, what's the easy way? Read the Bible. <laughs> Just read the Bible and and be obedient. You know, we've seen, however, though, how God sometimes will chasten someone like a Nebuchadnezzar. You read about it in Daniel chapter four. You know, uh, he, God God chastened him, but he came to his senses. You read someone, even like Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst king that Judah ever had. And he was uh, chastened, he was carried away, but God forgave him. He, He disciplined him severely, and he actually brought him back to the land. It's an interesting story. Their punishment, their punishment was set in stone. Look at verse 11, back in Jeremiah chapter 14. It says and then, then the Lord said to me Do not pray for these people anymore when when they fast I will pay no attention when they present their burnt offerings and grain offerings to me I will not accept them Instead I will devour them with war famine and disease I mean that's heavy <laughs> I'm going to devour you with war famine and disease that's heavy you know and and it's crazy because the lord says don't don't pray for these people anymore." God gave a similar command earlier in Jeremiah chapter seven verses sixteen through nineteen. The people of Judah were at this point so hardened that they were past prayer you know first john five fourteen through sixteen it also says something similar that certain times you know it's not we we can't pray for people because in all reality they're past this point and really what we read in first corinthians 5 5 and in 1 timothy 1 20 that when you don't pray for someone basically what you're doing is you're giving them over to the devil i'm going to give them over to the devil why because the devil will do his thing on them to bring them to salvation right and so, you know, that's an interesting thing. Paul talked about how he had to deliver people over to the devil so that in the end they would be saved. And so, yeah, I, you know, God would have to show you something like that. For me, when I read it, I'm like, okay, Lord, all I know is I don't want to reach that point ever in my life where I would cross the line where someone would say, you know what, don't, you can't even pray for that guy. You got to let him go because he's got to hit the gutter. And below, in order to look up, right? And so, here God says, don't don't pray for them. He says in verse 12, if they fast, I'm not even going to pay attention. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, it'll do them nothing. Because a lot of times people think, well, if I do religious stuff, then, you know, I'm going to be fine. Even though they're still living in sin, they're over there, they're doing their thing, they're coming to church, they're giving the offerings. Sometimes it's even sacrificially. And God says, that, that does you absolutely no, no good at all. God can't be bought or bribed. You know, what if you're, um, you know, you're, you're married, and let's just say your wife was unfaithful to you, right? Let's just say she was unfaithful to you. And so she's with another man. And so then she comes back to you and she says, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know what? Hey, honey, can I just buy you a Tesla to kind of get over this whole thing, you know? Uh, how many guys would say, well, some of you guys, no, no, you guys wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. You would be just like, no, absolutely not. You know, in order for us to stay together, there's no, nothing you could buy me, nothing you could cook me. I mean, it has to be repentance. You have to tell me that you are now devoted to me and you're, you're past that sin. This is what we do when we try to bribe God with religion. No, I'm not interested in the religion stuff. I want your heart. You know, when you go home, and when Manny, when you go home, what kind of a husband are you? What kind of a dad are you? What kind of a, um, all the different titles and tasks and roles and responsibilities that I have, you know, all the different things, here it is, that the Holy Spirit puts his finger on. And and with, for all of us, it's different. You know, but that's what I'm talking about. If you're living like a casual Christianity or California Christianity, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something. He says, hey, uh, my, my son, my my daughter, you know what, how about if you and I get this prayer life thing settled? You know, I just want you to talk to me. I just want to pray. I want you to pray. And it's been years. And you, never, and you say no. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's something, it's, all I know is that the Holy Spirit will put his finger on specific things in my life that need to change. And they might be sins of commission, like, you know, no more porn, no more wandering eye. It could be sins of commission. It could be sins of omission. And if you were honest, you would say the Holy, you could say, you could be admit, the Holy Spirit has been telling me to start doing this. And you haven't. You see, that's all I'm saying. Sins of omission, sins of commission. You know, God says, listen, uh, um, there's going to be a punishment And, and some might say, well, you know, the people of Judah, the part of the reason that they were not living right is because they had these false prophets who were telling them, you know, false things that everything was going to be okay. And and so this is what God says. Even today, you know, um, that might be the case. Some might justify their behavior because they were taught by somebody who taught them false doctrine. And the Lord is going to say this. He's going to say, number one, I'm going to judge those false prophets. But number two, you have no excuse. I'm going to judge them too because they should have known better. We should know better because we have the Bible. Right? And so look what we read in verse 13. Then I said, Jeremiah said, Oh, oh sovereign Lord, their, their prophets are telling them all is well. No war or famine will come. Maybe Jeremiah was trying to excuse their, their, their behavior. And the Lord will surely send you peace. This is what these false prophets were saying. And then the Lord said, These prophets are telling lies in my name. I did not send them or tell them to speak. I did not give them any messages. They prophesy of visions and revelations they have never seen or heard. They speak foolishness made up in their own lying hearts. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will punish these lying prophets for they have spoken in my name even though I never sent them. They, they say that no war or famine will come but they themselves will die by war and famine. You know, and when you look at this right here, you see um, there are there might be some out there who think, well, that Manny guy or Calvary Chapel, you know, they're crazy talking about, you know, the imminent return of the Lord. You know, he's going to come back and and judge, you know, God's a God of, you know, he's so nice, you know, and he's he's a God of love and he would never, you know, judge. You know, and then you go back to like a passage over in, in in the book of Exodus, it's thirty-three or thirty-four, and it's just so cool. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself as gracious and merciful and long-suffering and just so beautiful and willing to forgive, but by no means clearing the guilty and visiting the iniquity upon generation. So God is a God of grace, yes, but he's also a God of holiness. And so when these false prophets and you have them out there, they're they're telling you, hey, don't you don't. Know, you need to be concerned with the second coming of Christ. You don't need to be concerned with you know judgment or thangasos or any type of discipline whatsoever or or hell. They're liars. They're liars. I mean, this is what the Lord is saying. I'm going to ju- deal with them, and and I'm going to judge them. And as for the people in verse sixteen, to whom they prophesy, their bodies will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and war. There will be no one left to bury them. Husbands, wives, sons, and daughters, all will be gone, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. You know, the other day I was at the city council meeting. I was uh, blessed to offer the invocation, and it was kind of cool. I ended up talking to this one young man, I think, you know, maybe mid-30s, a really cool guy. We ended up having this conversation probably for about 20 minutes and man, it was such a blessing to be able to just share with this young guy who I don't know. He he didn't know anything. I mean, he had kind of been raised Catholic, um, but you know, he didn't realize, you know, that, that God loved him, that God had a plan for him. You know, I, I told him, Well, if you were to die today, I asked him, Do you do you would you, do you think you'd go to heaven? And he said, Yeah, you know what, I I mean, yeah, I think so. And so I asked him, okay, well, you're at heaven's door. And, and, and you know, God were to ask you, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into heaven? I asked him, well, what would you say? And he said, well, I would, you know, tell God I've tried. You know, I've been a pretty good person. And, you know, this, I did that, and I did that. And I and I just, you know, told him in a very humble way. I'm oh, bro, it does, you, you wouldn't make it. I'm sorry, you know? But But the only answer as far as, you know, whether or not I'm going to go into heaven, it's got nothing to do with my behavior. It has everything to do with my belief. You have to tell God, it's Mm -hmm. Jesus. Jesus gets me in. Jesus died for me. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, And when you do that, then you follow him. It's just so cool to see. Saved, sealed, spirit filled. That's what we need to be. Because my heart went out to him, and I'm, you know, talking to different people and these people that got all that power in the city and stuff like that. And you're just wondering, Lord, we don't want them to die in their sins. Because the things that we're reading about right here, the judgment of God, it's true. It's just so cool. This young man just opened up. He was so receptive and lord willing tomorrow i'm gonna we're gonna get him a bible and you know i talked to him today on the phone really 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 cool you know because we have to have a burden for the lost because you know where they're going without the lord you guys know that the judgment is is real and so we have to share Verse 17, it says, now Jeremiah, say this to them, night and day, my eyes overflow with tears. Now, again, this is one of those verses where we're not not sure if it's Jeremiah crying or if it's God crying. But either way, it's the heart that God has that Jeremiah caught Night and day, my tears, my eyes overflow with tears. I cannot stop weeping for my virgin daughter. My precious people has been struck down and lies mortally wounded. If I go out into the fields, I see the bodies of people slaughtered by the enemy. If I walk the city streets, I see people who have died of starvation. The prophets and priests continue with their work, but they don't know what they're doing now again when judgment comes does god rejoice over that no then you're like well why does god have to judge it's because his overriding attribute is holiness one day there'll be a place called heaven and everyone in heaven has to be holy that's all he can't live amongst sin and so he's provided a way where you and I can be sinless when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, right? And so when we're reading this right here, God is weeping. For every tear you cry, he cries a thousand more. Everything going on here that breaks our heart, it breaks his. And so right here, when you see these tears, it reminds me of Ezekiel 33, 11, where, you know, same area of of, of 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 time, Ezekiel was one of the prophet's, you know, that was there prophesying in Babylon during this time that Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem and Ezekiel thirty three eleven, say to them, As I live, says the Lord, God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? You know, sometimes people won't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because they won't get rid of their sin. They're like, Oh man, if I become a Christian, that means I You know, I can't party hardy the way that I, I, you know, I want to. And so they'll hold on to their sin. And God is just saying, no, turn from your sin. Trust in Jesus, simple childlike faith, and you'll be saved and that you'll live. You'll live. You'll live in heaven. You will live on earth. You'll live. You'll have this abundant life when you do it God's way. God has no pleasure in, in the death of the wicked and neither should we. And so verse 19, look what it says. And we can probably answer these questions ourselves. Lord, have you completely rejected Judah? Has he? Do you really hate Jerusalem? Does he? Why have you wounded us past all hope of healing? We hoped for peace, but no peace came. We hoped for a time of healing, but found only terror. That's the one. Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We all have sinned against you. And again, you're reading this and it, man, it sounds so good. For the sake of your reputation, Lord, do not abandon us. Do not disgrace your own glorious name. Please remember us and do not break your covenant with us. Can any of the worthless foreign gods send us rain, does it fall from the sky by itself? No, you are the one, O oh Lord, our God. Only you can do such things, so we will wait for you to help us, you know, and you read this prayer, and if it's you know of course, certain things about it, like we know God hasn't abandoned us, God doesn't hate Jerusalem, there's certain things about it that you know we know um they're 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 not right, but then there's other parts of this prayer. That are are pretty cool, but I will just close with this, look at verse twenty, Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors, and so here's the thing it's not enough just to confess. Homologeo is the Greek word, if you were to read the New Testament to say the same thing about the sin that God says about it. I admit that i've sinned it's not enough to confess. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You know, God loves us. You know, Henry I talked earlier about grace. We, we, We use grace, but we must never abuse grace. Because you know what will happen if we do that? There will be a drought. There will be a drought. And I think a lot of Christians, unfortunately, are living in that drought. But God wants to do a new work, and so I pray that today um, we would have a heart, you know, just to obey. Like I said last time, you know, not just less of me and more of God, none of me, all of God. Let me be a witness in my home, and wherever I go, Lord, I want to shine. And so I pray that tonight, and there's a few things I had to want to share, but we, we don't have time. I really would rather just close with just um, encouraging you tonight, myself included, before we leave here, and I'm pretty sure you're all interested in this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, emptying me of myself and filling me with Him, you know, Luke John, John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, torrents, just gushing of living water. So it's just so cool. The Lord says, If you're thirsty, and you're just thirsty. I wonder, I know, there's got to be some people here tonight who are thirsty. You're thirsty, right? So the, the beautiful thing is God is so good that he will not only quench your thirst, he will not only fill your body with water, that out of your body will flow these torrents of living water. What? What for? What for? for others for others cuz you got your thirst quenched you got yourself filled and now you watch how god is going to use your life like never before but you have to you have to come to him and you're like well how do you come to him well i could tell you to come forward and you know that may or may not be sincere it's just something you do in your heart Nine as we close. We're going to do two songs. Is that okay to do two songs? We're going to do two songs. Just worship the Lord and to the best of your ability, surrender to Him and, and just come to Him. He said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, Luke 11, I will give you the Holy Spirit.